Hey, it's Kevin O'Connor. I've got some big news for you. The Mismatch is hosting its first ever live show in Los Angeles at the El Rey Theater on March 6th. Me and Chris Vernon are going to be there. I'm fired up about it. At the El Rey Theater, there's been performers like Bob Dylan and Kendrick Lamar and Rage Against the Machine and Licky Lee. I'm fired up. Get to be on that stage with my guy, Chris Vernon. We've been together since 2016 doing NBA podcasts, and now we're going to get to meet a lot of you who have listened to our show for so many years. We'll do a Q&A at the end. We might have some special guests, but we're definitely going to be talking basketball. It's going to be a lot of fun. I'm excited about it. Tickets are going fast, though, so be sure to head to com to get your tickets now. Doors are going to open at 7 p.m., and the show is going to be starting right at 8 o'clock. Let's go, baby. This episode is brought to you by eBay Authenticity Guarantee. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee, and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you look like the gem. Sneakers and streetwear are so fresh, every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things you love are checked by experts. Not just any experts, specialized experts, real people who love this stuff, with real hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue checkmark that says Authenticity Guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. On May 10th, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes is coming to IMAX and theaters everywhere. What a wonderful day! This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. They stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan. Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Only in theaters May 10. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Welcome to Jam Session. I'm Juliette Littman. I'm Amanda Dobbins. We're back. We had a week off. We had our own winter break. A lot happened in our lives and on television, kind of. We're going to talk about it. Great, great intro. <laughs> to the point. Good energy. No, no. Can we start with Grace? Sure. Yeah, I'd love to. This past Thursday, February 23rd, was a much-anticipated television event. It was Ellen Pompeo's final episode as a series regular on Grey's Anatomy. Meredith Grey left the building. And years ago, Shonda Rhimes said there would not be a show without Meredith Grey. And yet here we are. The show carries on. Amanda, we've been through several Grey's departures we together. Have. This is a really central one, though. This is <laughs> Meredith Grey of the titular Grey's Anatomy. I, may I just ask some questions? Of course, yeah. So could you let me know how this had been teed up? Like what, you know, what breadcrumbs there? I'm, I'm a, I mean, in terms of the show itself, in the, in sure. the world of the show, not like in terms of press coverage. The crux of it is that Meredith's oldest daughter, Zola, is a prodigy. And <laughs> I'm she's... sorry, I'm just already, <laughs> I didn't know that. I, I watched several episodes, several seasons of Grey's Anatomy. She, no, I never made it to Meredith having children. Happy for her though. Zola, Meredith stole from the hospital and like almost ruined what? her own career and Derek's career. Yes, this occurred, I would say season 
eight-ish, maybe. Did no, she must really have, yeah. steal her from the hospital? Yeah, she did. But then you, it worked out because she's still Meredith's daughter. <laughs> but I like, guess a baby, she stole Zola. <laughs> you know, one thing I was really surprised by when I had a baby was like how much of the hospital's energy is spent making sure your baby isn't stolen. Like... I, <laughs> Well, as a doctor, I think you can circumvent that. Yeah, but I I was like really not, I did not expect like the little like bracelet that they put on immediately and there are codes and there are things that you have to scan. It's like a high security environment. And I was told to prepare for a lot of things, but I really didn't know that this was like a consistent issue. And, and, and well, yeah, anyway, apparently on Grey's Anatomy it is. It all worked out okay. That was an early challenge for Meredith and Derek. Okay. One of the, one of the many times she did something rash that he then was upset about. Anyway, Zola's a prodigy and Zola needs to go to a school that will nurture her gifts. And that school is in Boston. And recently, Jackson Avery, by recently, I mean last season or yeah, I think last season, moved to Boston to run the Avery Foundation. Yes, Amanda's raising her hand. Who is Jackson Avery? (laughs) Jackson Avery is one of the most beautiful men in Hollywood, perhaps on earth. Okay. Jesse Williams. Oh, oh, okay. Now now you have my attention. And you're also foreshadowing a later segment on this podcast. Continue. He who I have not seen naked, though many have, because he's naked on stage in the play Take Me Out. Okay. Although I I think it just closed. I missed my opportunity. That's Anyway, don't objectify him. See him for the art, not for his body. (laughs) He moved to Boston where he's running this Avery Foundation. This is like that's been around for a long time. I can't even get into it. Anyway, and he's like, okay, move to Boston. Zola can go to the school. And Meredith, you you can cure Alzheimer's. You can work at the foundation and I'll help you. And if you recall, this show began with Meredith working at the hospital where her mother was a legend, though she is now. She then had Alzheimer's, like completely crippling Alzheimer's. So it was kind of full circle in terms of that. And so Amanda, like the crazy thing is, I've told you basically all you need to know and essentially no extra information or plot twists were revealed in the February 23rd episode of Grey's Anatomy. Right, so and a, a mid-season exit. A mid-season, a first episode after the winter break, and, like, the date was announced, like, two to three months ago. So, like, this was the least ceremonious exit for a titular character in a landmark 18-season television-changing television program. I cannot tell you how unceremonious this was. So what happened? What you you kind of told me over text, but I didn't really get it. Okay, she just leaves. Her final patient at Gray's at at Gray's Sloan Memorial Hospital, which is which of which she is a owner and is named for her dead sister. Do they get into the politics of uh, like hospital financing on this show? No, they don't. Separate combo. Different show. That's for the after show. Meredith uh, has one final patient. It's a woman who is like a beloved Seattle novelist. Meredith fails to save her. She dies. Meredith calls it. And then she leaves and she leaves with the final manuscript of this woman's, this woman's book or whatever. It wasn't published. I think it's a kid's book. And meanwhile, she's dating Scott Speedman, AKA that's his real name. I can't call him Nick Marsh because he'll always be Ben Covington to me. And every time I think of Scott Speedman, I think of the time I saw him in the West village when I was like 19 and I introduced myself. It was a highlight for me and certainly an absolutely forgettable moment for him. (laughs) And she's Nick had moved to Seattle for her. And then 
he, she said, I love you. And he didn't say it back. So they're on the rocks. And then the only really ceremonial moment occurs shortly after Meredith's final patient at Grace Sloan Memorial Hospital has died at her hands where she's in a scrub room. And in season two, Meredith very famously delivered this impassioned speech to Derek where she says, pick me, love me, choose me. And it's so emotional. And it's like just one of the most incredible moments in television history. Slightly ripping off my best friend's wedding, but whatever. It's a long, it's a very, very gray's like, it, it is slightly, but the way that it is, is couched, uh, you know, it's, it's a long monologue. I do remember anyway. this. I watch it myself. I also want to say that as you were saying that Jade, our producer, like just started saying it along with you. Yeah. Off it's, mic. it's an icon- so it, sure, absolutely of iconic it moment. Of course. Jade was like in elementary school when this happened and yet yeah. she knows it. You know what? And so <laughs> we accept all ages here at Jam It session. was 17 years ago. I, you know, it's fine. So Meredith then says to Nick, I'm not going to beg you to love me. I'm, I have three kids. I'm a mother. And if I'm going to pick someone, I'm going to pick my family. And then she leaves. So she, so that's a call back to how she's evolved from that time. And as she's sitting on the plane before the plane takes off, Nick calls her. He's in traffic. He was trying to stop her. And he says, I love you. Blah, 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 blah. And she pretends she can't hear him. She can't, she can't hear him. She goes, what? We're taking off. Let me call you when we get to Boston. And then she hangs up on him and she reads the story and it's like a voiceover. And that's it. I also forgot one other part. Sorry. Go ahead. The goodbye at the hospital. No one has anything to say. Like Bailey's like, Meredith. I don't know what I was going to say. Someone else say something. And then they like get her a cake, but it's like a mistake cake. It's like a bat mitzvah cake. So they have to like change it. So it's like shitty. It's sort of like, you can see it one of two ways. You can see it as either. Sorry, this is a really, I'm now monologuing. I'm really sorry, but you asked. (laughs) So there's one of two ways to see it. One is the, this is like the feminist ending that Meredith Grey should have after 18 seasons of surviving every calamity possible. Dead mother, dead father, dead husband, dead sister, dead, 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 lots of people dead. And then like a lot of things wrong. And of course, Meredith is not going to beg someone to love her. She's like going to focus on her children. And of course, like leaving the hospital, it's just a job. Like she's been through so much. She survived COVID. Like, yeah, it's just a job. She's just moving on. I mean, she's the owner, but whatever, continue. And it's just like, she is sort of like a no fuss, hardened general surgeon, award-winning general surgeon now. So I'm like, yeah, okay. Maybe this is like in real life, maybe this would happen. To me, it seems like everyone just hates Ellen Pompeo and is just saying fucking good riddance to Meredith Grey, which like honestly hurts. I just can't believe this is how we end things with fucking Meredith Grey, titular Grey's Anatomy character, Meredith Grey. Can, I mean, it's it's not even like the horror of Alex's departure of which I opine, on which I opine shortly before the world shut down for COVID. I would love to have had a big swing and a miss. I mean, this is just, this is the opposite kind of fuck you. There's no, it's just unbelievable. It was so, so underwhelming. May I ask some follow-up questions? Please. Okay, so Meredith is still alive. She's alive, yeah. This is not the first Grey's Anatomy character departure. 
Correct. <laughs> in fact, I believe it's, this is like my favorite pastime. Like I woke up this morning and I was like, great. At some point we're going to do jam session and Juliet's just going to tell me what happened when I, Meredith left Grey's Anatomy. I Like I live I, for it. Yeah. Also, I just want to note, Many of them have moved to Boston. Right. It's so like this is hilarious. what I wanted. I wanted to do a tally with you. <laughs> How many of them have been killed off versus relocating to show up later on a Dream Beach? Even though that technically was killed off. So Dream even, Beach was all killed off people. Yeah. Right. Dream Beach, we had McSteamy, Lexi, Derek, George, mother, father. I'm up to seven. They killed George? Yes, they killed George. He got hit by a bus. What did he do to the writers of Grey's Anatomy? He and his like his dying his dying act. I think he wanted to leave. Okay. His dying act was he like like used his finger to like put a message on Meredith's hand. <laughs> she didn't get it for a long time. Okay, okay so they're so they're all. Uh, oh, Denny, that's eight. I don't know if you could really count him, but oh, he was that, yeah, that, that was that was part of the show though. That's sad. So that's that's eight deads, and then okay. relocated. We have Jackson, April. Arizona, Callie, Jackson, Christina, Preston Xavier Burke. I think that's okay. the total. So and then there's some others along the way. Those are the major ones. So it's eight and eight. I just want to note the reason, the other thing, the thing that would have made this really good, what they would have done in a show where people liked each other is Sandra O would have come back for some kind of I was going to ask whether, so she is still alive, but she couldn't She's still come alive. Back. Right, but she's referred to as like a text. She's she's given the Samantha treatment and just like us, she's like okay. a text message. Okay, but also just like with just like us, Sandra O oh and Alan Pompeo reportedly hate each other. Okay, and so Sandra O oh will never come back. Although maybe she will now. <laughs> right. Yeah, I'm sure. No, she's not. She has other things going on now. <laughs> yeah, she's a like big time actress. She okay, made, she made so, some good choices for but herself. So living on the show versus being killed off doesn't correlate to whether you get along with everybody else on the show anymore, it would seem. Oh, I forgot Izzy and Alex. They re- relocated too. And, the, right. and they're definitely banished. Right. So no, it, does, it doesn't correlate. Okay. I actually think the more beloved characters and the more beloved people have been killed, actually. Okay. So I'm sure that there is some psychology that we could do about that. Do you think this means that Meredith like will be back? As you, yes. you said, you introduced, it, like this is her departure as a quote, series regular. Well, and as you noted, she, she after I told you, she owns the hospital. So I assume she'll come back at some point. I, you know, I, I don't know. I, I think Ellen Pompeo just like wants to do other things. Plus, I was thinking about this. I would never be an actress for many reasons. But can you imagine having spent for what for us, what would be basically half our lives playing someone else? Like, don't you just lose track of who you are versus who the character is? Like, that's just going to be so fucking confusing. Like, I just don't even I don't even know what that would be like. I also I, I worry about like the children. Like, is your mother Meredith Gray? Like, I, I don't, I don't know. Oh, it's I thought so that weird. you were going to say the children on the show, which I did have one uh, like a side follow up, which was how did sure. she acquire the other two children? Does she have two or three other kids through through pregnancy with her husband Derek? Okay, one is named Bailey, one is named Ellis. Yeah, I think she's got three. She's three kids. Okay, Bailey, Ellis, and and Azola. Okay, so she'll be back. How much longer do you think Grays will run? You know, two titans of my life, The Bachelor and Grey's Anatomy, have been on ABC for a very long time. Mm-hmm. And I just don't know how either is going to keep it going. I will say Grey's did something that I 
really have always advocated for, which is they did a good reboot. They basically had three people move into the house that Ered, that Meredith, Izzy, George, and like other many others have lived in at some time. And they basically replenished the intern class. The show just needs to evolve. Both of these shows, the Grace has not evolved in a way. The reason it's gotten bad is it hasn't evolved to, to like 2023. 20, and so I think they need like a whole new writer's room and they need to like think about what will make it Grace for 2023. I feel the same way about The Bachelor. So I think a few more years. I mean, like these are like two, two of the most popular shows on the network. So they, and like network TV is dying. So they right, certainly can't get rid of them. The money. Yeah. But... It's tricky. It's I mean, for like, I would say until about three or four years ago, I would defend Grey's as like, this is still a good show. And I, I do think it is like one of the most important like feminist tracks of our time. Like it is significant to me that the ending for Meredith Grey, the titular character of Grey's Anatomy, is that like, I choose my children in my career and that's, I'm good. And like, that is, I guess... It's not what I want out of television. I, I think of the moment that when you, me, and Bill were recording The Sleepless in Seattle Rewatchables and we were talking about the line, you don't want to be in love, you want to be in love in a movie. Sure. And yeah, I watched Grey's, Grey's Anatomy for love on a TV show, not love in real life. So I acknowledge it's feminist triumphs, but it's really not what I'm looking for. Will you continue watching it? Of course. What else am I doing? <laughs> I, I don't know. I'd like to... So, <laughs> so give me... Like a, a summary, a in summary feelings check on on Meredith's departure. I am also a, a grizzled, hardened adult, much like Grace. So I'm like not as angry, but I also don't like Meredith, and she also has basically like made the show structurally unsound for the last few years by clearly refusing to to record to shoot more than like two weeks a year. So I'm kind of I agree, good riddance that she's gone, but I'm also like just disappointed. And disappointment is a feeling I really don't enjoy, so I'm just trying to push push through. Okay, we we won't linger. <laughs> thank you, thank you for your time. Thank you for your report. Thank you for asking. Thank you for this opening like, your heart. This is a real act of friendship that you cared so much to discuss this with me for 15 minutes. Thank I, you so much. I will keep asking until the show is no more. <laughs> There's two people left from the original cast: Dr. Weber and Dr. Bailey. Which one's Dr. Weber? Uh, the chief. Don't remember. I just remember um, Dr. Bailey. The elderly, no, he's not elderly, the, the man that was Meredith's mother's boyfriend. No, no recollection, but wish everyone well. Okay, me, me too. Good luck, Alan Pompeo. I can't imagine it's going to get sweeter than being in Meredith Grey, but good luck. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, Tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. 
With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. Amanda, let's move on to something we can both really engage in, which is the film Your Place or Mine, starring Ashton Kutcher and Reese Witherspoon on Netflix. It came out, it was a Valentine's Day release about two weeks ago, maybe three weeks at this point. We can keep track of the time. We both finally watched it, kind of. What's your review? I watched all of it. You watched... I when watched did, it. I, when did you hit stop? What was happening? The point... I, you know what really pushed me away was Zoe Chow, who I really like as an actress, but I could not stand her character. And I think when Reese Witherspoon and Zoe Chow went out for a meal or to party or something, I was just like, I, I, I was like, I can't deal with this. Okay. So you didn't then see when Jesse Williams showed up on the scene? I did see Jesse Williams. I made it to Jesse Williams, but only That's like for a few minutes. Because the partying was essential in order to introduce Jesse Williams yeah. as a book editor and yes. publisher onto onto the scene. I did catch that. No one that attractive would ever work in publishing. Sorry. Did you watch the scene where he and Reese Witherspoon have a long conversation about every single book that he's ever published and she knows all of the titles and has read all of them? And can give perfect capsule reviews. And he can also uh, summon the page lengths of the various books um, off the top of his head. I don't think I saw that, no. Yeah. That that <laughs> then, that happens like two minutes after you hit stop. But that's that's a thing that happens. Uh, they both love books. And they, they share that love by spewing facts with each other. So here's what happened. I watched this pretty late in the game. I received a lot of text messages from friends and colleagues, in- including Juliet about this movie, which was written and directed by Lean Brush McKenna, who wrote The Devil Wears Prada, one of my favorite films of all time. Also wrote... It's a good one. 27 Dresses, several other rom-com classics, Morning Glory, one of our shared favorites. Well, yeah, absolutely one of my favorite movies of all time as well. And, you know, you can't win them all, as they say. <laughs> so I had been warned by pretty much everyone in my life that, that this was not a successful film. And in fact, that it was really unsuccessful and that things were pretty horrifying. So I started watching it and it wasn't the worst movie I'd ever seen. And so I just kind of kept watching. I found it depressing. And I I have a theory about part of why that is. But I think the reason I couldn't keep going is I found it depressing. Go ahead. Share your theory. Part of it is the music of this movie was so bad. I have a plea for movie studios and TV studios. Please increase your budget for licensing music. I completely agree. And especially in in romantic comedies and or movies aimed theoretically, you know, air quotes, whatever, at a female audience. It's always like the fourth tier top 40 bullshit. It's awful. there was like awkward silences. There was too much. There's too many minutes in this movie without a score or without a song playing. And I was just like, I feel awkward watching 
Ashton Kutcher in his apartment by himself. Or like, I feel awkward watching Ashton Kutcher like on the phone with Reese Witherspoon with no background noise. I was just like, give me background noise and get some good fucking music. Right. So you you have brought up a lot of other major issues here. So the biggest one is that they essentially, they try to do a Sleepless in Seattle-esque thing mm-hmm. of the two main characters, the people who are supposed to ultimately be in love, are not in the same place or in the same scene for almost the entire movie. Which makes me love Caroline Aaron, Dr. Marsha Fieldstone, Dr. Marsha even more. Because Man, did she hold that movie together? She really did. The setup in your place or mine is that these are old friends from, not college, from 2003, because we watch them hook up in flashback, sort of, which was strange and we don't need to talk about it. Though the, even that scene introduces the crucial issue that these two people do not have chemistry. But None. They're, they're supposed to be friends, so they're FaceTiming all of the time across country. Ashton Kutcher's character lives in New York. Reese Witherspoon's character lives in Los Angeles. And they're like supposed to be old friends and you have to watch them talk to each other via video conference. And that is like, I was about to say it's it has pandemic vibes, but it, it's not set in the pandemic. It's just we have to watch no. people do bullshit face. You know, it brings back all that horror, except also they don't have any sort of connection. So None. That's, that's really tough. That's just like, a, you can't get over that. Also, they make Reese Witherspoon so dowdy. Like, I, so, so dowdy. Which, Amanda, why is that a particular problem in this movie? Well, at some point, she goes to New York. She and Ashton Kutcher switch places mm-hmm. rather than than meeting. And Ashton Kutcher comes to take care of her kid while she needs to go to New York to take a class to become an accountant, even though she really wants to be an editor. Then she finds Ashton Kutcher's book in the oven that he wrote because he wanted to be a novelist. So she <laughs> takes... Did you get to this part? Yes, I did. Okay, I was so immediately worried about a fire. She happens upon Jesse Williams handsomest man in the world who also happens to be like a book lover and divorced and having trouble dating, which, okay, they're just two out of three of those. I have a hard time believing. Book lover can apply to anyone. (laughs) But they, they bond over some facts about books in this bar that definitely did not look like a New York bar, but whatever. And then Reese Witherspoon has the bright idea to give her Ashton Kutcher's book to Jesse Williams to try to get it published. And then they go on a date because Jesse Williams is really interested in her. And... Sorry. (laughs) Personal note, personal note, Ashton Kutcher lives in in this movie, lives in Dumbo, which then is where Reese Witherspoon is living. So there's a lot of Dumbo. I once met Jesse Williams. Actually, I met him a couple times because he came to the office of The Ringer. I met him before he was famous because my brother was like weirdly friends with him like at a random bar in Dumbo before anyone went to Dumbo. Like I was, it, it must've been like in 2004, five. Mm-hmm. And I just felt a, a connection to that moment. I just wanted to share it. Okay. 
Uh, I would like to share my thoughts, which is that the CGI Brooklyn Bridge in the back of, uh, I guess that's Manhattan Bridge, sorry. In mm-hmm. the, no, actually no, from that angle, Brooklyn. it's the Brooklyn. Brooklyn. Yeah. Which um, is, that building is 60 Water Street, which right. it does have a view of both, so. There's sorry. a joke about the Manhattan Bridge, Brooklyn Bridge later, because Reese Witherspoon actually quotes Walt Whitman talking about the Brooklyn Bridge to Jesse Williams after their date. And then Jesse Williams' character is like, that's great, but that's actually the Manhattan Bridge. Anyway, I think that was the real Manhattan Bridge, but the CGI Brooklyn Bridge that they use behind that apartment is the most offensive use of CGI that I have seen in a film this year. And I have seen both Black Panther Wakanda Forever and Ant-Man Quantum Whatever. So... Sources say that Ant-Man is bad because Black Panther is good. So I, I don't know what you're saying. Amanda, how are you not getting to the most important visual aspect of this movie? <laughs> we, were, we were dancing around it. I don't know. I had to like warm <laughs> myself up. I, I'm I had to, to create like it. a comfortable space for us all to talk <laughs> about this. So I kept watching for a lot of reasons. My expectations were low. Uh, you know, I was like, I would like to know why they put Reese Witherspoon in these out. terrible clocks. Ashton Kutcher looks so hot in this movie. I don't so even hot. know what to say. I, and like, I'm, I'm saying it out it's loud. Unbearable. It's fine. It's like I unbearable. said this to everyone in my life. And, you know, I, I just have to own it. I have never really been an Ashton Kutcher person. Nor I mean, I. obviously, he's an attractive person because he is a TV turned movie star. You know, like no judgment. It's never really been my cup of tea. And I, I like I didn't understand what was happening. I didn't know whether my eyes were deceiving me. I was like, "Am I sick? Like, is something going on?" <laughs> and I just kept watching. And he's just very tall and wearing crew neck sweaters. Oh my god, the sweaters look so good, and the jeans look really good, and everything fits well. It's not too tight. It's not too showy. It's not too loose. It's just like. A J. Crew model from the same year I met Jesse Williams, like 2003, which is a great, great look. Important to note, Jesse Williams also looks great. Yeah. But it was the surprise of the Ashton Kutcher thing and also the contrast with the fact that I can't say that he's selling any of his lines or he's his attraction so to anyone. He has to play like a so marketer. Hot. Is that what he does? Sense. He's like, he, like rebrands he- people? He's like playing George Clooney and up in the air, but like for marketing and everyone's in love with him. And I got it. And this is a tough thing to say like a month before my beloved Ben Affleck's air comes out, but we got to start, stop making movies and TV shows about marketing. We just have to do it. Even though I I clearly will watch all of them start to finish. It's tough. it, it It couldn't be more boring. Just have him be unemployed and just like rich. Also, then here's some other upsetting, upsetting information. Not only is Ashton Kutcher so hot that I don't even know who I am anymore because I'm so attracted to him. I then had to like read up on Ashton Kutcher <laughs> and like spend a lot of time you and learning I spent about it. Valuable like off work hours <laughs> texting each other information about Ashton Kutcher, the <laughs> owner of Pop Chips or whatever. I mean, the weirdest thing about this really weird world is that Ashton Kutcher and Shaquille O'Neal are two of the greatest entrepreneurs and investors of our time. It's pretty (laughs) wild. And it's true. Ashton Kutcher wanted to do this movie, but did not want to leave his family. So he paid the budget difference between shooting in Atlanta, where there's great tax incentives versus shooting in Los Angeles. Like it's, it's crazy. Like, I can't believe how rich he is. I looked it up on celebnetworth.com and okay. they're saying 200 million, but yes. I bet more. The I more, more. Re- most reliable source, of course. 
Yeah, I think that's I think that's just low. Also, there's a couple of scenes of him in his underwear. Loved it. I'm not usually someone who's like, yeah, take it off. But with Ashton Kutcher, I was like, yeah, take it off. You look it, hot. It was really startling. And it's not like it makes any of the other parts of the movie work any better. He and Reese Witherspoon still have absolutely no chemistry. And the machinations by which they're brought together ultimately make absolutely no sense. And I thought were, frankly, just a, a rude portrait of single motherdom. But can I tell you, I told you this a text, but I just need everybody to know how it like finally, they finally get together, which is she's flying back to L.A., but she tells him to leave L.A. because she doesn't want to see him. And so they're at the airport and they're at like opposing moving walkways. And they just like yell at each other from the walkways. And Reese Witherspoon just makes Tracy flick face a lot. And, Re- and Ashton Kutcher just like looks confused. And then they, like, get together. It's baffling. That's it. That's it. Well, I think I might watch it silent with, like, on mute with good music playing. So just so I can look at Ashton Kutcher. You know what I need? I need one of those super cuts on YouTube where it's, like, every scene of Joey and Pacey, Dawson's Creek, season three. It's, like, I need every scene of Ashton Kutcher from Your Plays or Mine. And that's it. Like, nothing else. Just the Ashton Kutcher parts. I feel like that'll exist at some point. It is. This does beg the question, though. Like, is there another portion of the internet? Like, is there like an Aston Aston? Is there an Ashton Kutcher thirst internet that we're not a part of that we can get involved in? Like, you, is this happening I, on TikTok? Do we need to do that? I feel like the two hours that I committed, <laughs> plus like the ashamed texting that I did to many of our, uh, our 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 friends, was enough. But you did googling. You didn't find anything. I mean, I googled. I didn't go to TikTok, which is what I should have done. I'm now learning. I just need just to know what's up. I need to be searching on TikTok, but then I have to open TikTok. Yeah. So okay, it's a no go for me. Yeah. I don't know, but Ashton Kutcher, we see you, and man, you're hot. Mila Kunis, I've always liked you. Great work. You've a hot husband. Yeah. All right. Shall we move on? Yes. Rihanna was on the cover of British Vogue, and she debuted her child. Man, is he cute? He's really, really cute. I, these are the two things that I wanted to note from this. Number one, very cute photogenic baby not surprised just great job baby number two did you read enough of the profile to become aware of the circumstances of the interview that it was at 3 36 a.m yes. after her <laughs> super bowl rehearsal yes that rihanna sent her driver to pick up the writer at 3 36 a.m and that which i mean i rihanna historically is on rihanna time and she even well, talks about that in the interview but didn't the last time she did a Vogue interview, wasn't a big piece of it about how she was late? Yeah, she's late. And she talks about how she used to like call meetings at like four or five, you know, in the morning. She's a mm-hmm. nocturnal person. She's always been on record about that. And there, there's a point of the piece where she's like, I'm, I have started realizing what that was doing to all of the working parents in my life. And she's like, you guys were really doing this with the kid, which I thought was very sweet. But yeah, she sends the driver to pick up the interviewer, to bring him back. And then... The interview only only gets as far as the lobby of her Century City home. There's like a private screening room for members, which is as as far as anyone could go. And I just, I really, I know that Rihanna, you know, is is the best, but just an incredible, incredible level of power and being like, now at 4 p.m., you'll come to the lobby of my apartment building. <laughs> and that's all that you will get from me. I love her. I thought, I just thought it was interesting. Like, this is... I remember we spent a lot of time on Jam Session talking yeah. about the 2019 
profile in American Vogue. Yes. That got a lot of guff because it's focused so much on how Rihanna was like rude and late and stuff. And she continues to be late. I don't think she seems rude. I don't know. I just thought, I just thought it was interesting that like, this is like, this was the story again. Although I, one of my questions for you, mm-hmm. how come this ends up in British Vogue and not American Vogue? I don't know. Maybe she wanted to do it with Edward Enenfell, and mm-hmm. who's the editor in chief of British Vogue as opposed to right. Anna. I, like, I think it's because the, the short answer is because that's where Rihanna wanted it. Right. I just think that was interesting. I wonder if she had a bad, and a bad know, experience previously. I, I think that's entirely possible. And this also was meant to be like the debut of the baby as well. And then it talks about in the piece how the the paparazzi spotted them on the beach doing the photo shoot. And so Rihanna released that. Was it a TikTok, TikTok of the baby? Yeah. Which was also very cute. Once again, cute baby. Just to be able to have some ownership over the the reveal of the baby. Anyway. What do you think about Rihanna living in a penthouse in Century City versus like a house? I think last time she was in a house in Bel Air. I wondered whether it was a one of several real estate locations mm-hmm. and also the one that was being made available to the press in this situation. Interesting. Even though she was only invited to the lobby. He, or the writer I, was only invited to the lobby. I wonder if there's just great concierge service in this building because a lot of other fancy people live there. Yeah. Includably, including Nobu Matsuhisa, who I love. Love that, love that salad dressing, man. <laughs> I really do. <laughs> and Candy Spelling famously lived there. Matthew Perry, many others. But it's like, and, and you know, maybe she loves Din Tai Fung. She wants easy access because she's near the Century City Mall. Who right. knows? I just thought that was kind of interesting. Uh, this this is nice. One thing I just thought was notable was that the profile certainly doesn't mention ASAP Rocky getting arrested at LAX. And the only reason why I think it's notable that it doesn't is because it kind of comes close to a TikTok of like the first nine months of Rihanna and Rocky and baby like moving around. Right. I'm sure that that was just yeah, extremely sure off limits. Yeah. I'm sure, I'm sure it wasn't allowed, but I do think it's kind of a weird elision. Yeah. Just because it was like, a big thing that happened at LAX. And if you're like talking about them traveling together as a family, well, the first time they traveled, that happened. I think that's really shitty and traumatic, but I just think it's notable. This piece, at the time of the interview, the piece says Rihanna did not know she was pregnant. Now, whether she didn't know or she wasn't sharing, which is 100% up to her, is like, they don't mention, but I don't think, I I think it was pretty heavily negotiated what would be discussed and what would not be, which is absolutely Rihanna's right. Know if I completely agree with that. I, I mean, I I mean that's sort of like where we are with celebrity profiles, and Rihanna doesn't have to do anything. But I don't know. I just I, I think I, I only found it like really noticeable because it talked about them traveling and like the logistics of their life, and like I don't know. That was just like a pretty big logistical shock. Yeah, I think you're right about that. I mean, it's not great journalism. I think yeah. on the other hand that I think the, and I believe in good journalism. I also believe in people really getting to determine the boundaries of of their own involvement in anything. And especially with her kid, I'm kind of like, I don't know. I, like I respect Rihanna. I just, she like has sure. things so unlocked that she could be like, you will come here at 4 a.m. Only see the lobby, not ask about Rocky, not ask about anything else. Like get no like updates on when or whether I'll release an album and like, it'll still be a big deal. I, I, you know, I would love to be Rihanna when I grow up. It's not going to happen. Sure. As previously discussed, world's most, most confident person. Yeah, I think exactly. Number two is Will on Love Island. Okay. (laughs) 
he's really confident. <laughs> anyway, cute kid. Wish wish them the best. <laughs> How we end everything here. All right. Lastly, last night with the SAG Awards. Mm-hmm. I assume you I assumed you watched that for work. Did you watch it? It was on Netflix, I think. It was on Netflix's Netflix's YouTube. YouTube. I I didn't watch it live. It was at 5 p.m. So 5 p.m. West Coast time. I watched it on YouTube afterwards. So I fast forwarded and I just watched the acceptance speeches of the movies. And then I watched Austin Butler escorting people on stage, which is one of my interests these days. And, And that was that. I looked at the pictures and my main takeaway is that if you weren't in the White Lotus season two, mm-hmm. your life sucks because they seem so happy together and they seem to like all hang out together and just seems like a great friend group. I don't know. I just didn't think that I shouldn't see this happening, but the, I, I I love it. The White Lotus won several things, including best ensemble in a TV. But did you see that there was a whole thing with Aubrey Plaza looking like really mad um, while they no. were accepting? Yeah. And it was like no. a whole meme. And then apparently it was just because there were a lot of up up there and they were getting jostled. And then she was maybe like, I don't really know. But she looks there's a whole thing of her looking extremely pissed off, which, you know, if you almost get an elbow in the face, I I would be pissed off as well. Her dress also like needed a lot of tape to like keep things in place. So maybe she was worried about that. Right. I think that could be part of it. Anyway, I think for the most part, they're having a great time. And what a come up for all these people. I absolutely love it. Yeah. It's like just really fun to watch. Loved it. That's all I wanted to say. I wish I was part of the White Lotus friend group. This is how I feel about musicals. When I think everyone like loves each other, I'm just like, oh, I wish I was a part of that. I get that generally. I I don't really feel that way, particularly about White Lotus, just given what I understand what happens on the show where I guess to not be on the show, but to be one of the people IRL seems good. I'd love to go to Sicily. I'm a big fan of Sicily. Me too. Seems like everything's going great. Yeah. <laughs> well, we will be back next week. I assume Ashton Kutcher will still be smoking hot, but we'll keep an eye on the situation. Let me know. Yeah, let me know <laughs> how, how you're doing as you finish the rest of the movie. Thank you as always to our producer, Jade Whaley, and have a great week. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.